How's the weather in Bozeman? It's hot. Smoky. Yeah. Are there fires? Oh, yeah. Is it fire season? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's fire season everywhere, but um, we don't have too many right near us, though there is one south of Ennis I just heard about that's 700 acres now, so... Um, but yeah, it's mostly Oregon or, uh, whatever, uh, Washington and Idaho. Yeah. There's smoke's blowing over here. So it's, uh, it's a little hazy and gross looking, but, uh, the smoke's not too low. So it's, it's easy to breathe at least. Thanks. Gotcha. But I could change anytime. Is it smoky for you guys yet? Um, not super smoky. It's just hot. It's just hot. It's, yeah, it's very hot. hot. Like very mm-hmm. hot. Just dealing with it. Yeah. yeah. Well, time to drink a milkshake. IPA to cool down. Yeah, I'm time. Yeah, you know, what? I'm gonna get it started on fires. I'll get it started. Uh, <laughs> hey, everyone, it's time for Liquid Bread. Uh, I'm Maddie Smith. With me, as always, are my buddy Larry Bates. What it do? What it do? And my other buddy, Master Cicerone, the Macho Man of Malts, Rich Higgins. Hey, everybody. Yay. The Macho Man of Malts. Hey, everybody. And now we're you know we're right in the throes of summer, and if you're anything like me, the moment that temperature uh, goes up, you reach for a milkshake. Larry, how many milkshakes have you had so far this summer? Um. None actually. None actually, right, but I'm looking to forward say. to grabbing. You're afraid to say. Grabbing. Uh, <laughs> so how about let's talk about this uh, recent trend of sweet and fruity and milky and thick beers. Mm. Is how I'm going to describe most of them uh, that keep popping up all over the place for the past few years, calling themselves things like milkshake IPAs and smoothie sours. Before we talk to the pros, and we'll bring you in, Lewis. Do you drink many milkshake or no, smoothie beers? N- no, but I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. Okay. Uh, have you ever day. had like a milkshake IPA? I, I, I that mean, you know maybe, of? but I, but um, I don't know. But I know I have one in front of me. We I'm do have them in front of us. Open. Yeah, we do have <laughs> we have foresight. The fruited smoothie sour from uh, one second. I want to get the brewery name right. Corporate Ladder Brewing Company in Wenaki, Wisconsin. Corporate Ladder Brewing Company. That's what it, we're going to be sipping on. So you're here sipping on. Larry, you told me you brought uh, you brought some vodka one time to Dairy Queen. Did I? Yeah. Did, did I really? <laughs> I'm messing. <with> <laughs> But, I mean, I do like milkshakes, you know, like yeah. dipping, dipping fries and milkshakes. See, really you do good. like milkshakes. Oh, I do like, I like milkshakes. I just haven't had any this summer. Mm-hmm. Ooh, this yeah. beer smells good. Does it? Let me it's strawberry it. banana it's vanilla. Today's a very special day. We have our very first guest ever of <laughs> all time. <laughs> yeah, so man. joining us uh, is the head brewer of Mountains Walking Brewery in Bozeman, Montana, Lewis McAllister. Hey, Lewis. Hello. Hello. Now, well, you, thanks for having me. Yeah, I was psyched to have you. Uh, you worked with Rich, correct? Yes. How is that? <laughs> <laughs> let's get right to it. Let's 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 just put it this way. I don't work for, with them anymore. <laughs> it was amazing. We, we miss it every day. We couldn't handle it. <laughs> this beer is actually really tasty. It's, it's very, it's very really good. good. It's, it's like very, a really good strawberry banana good. smoothie. Imagine it's not, it's not super boozy. Let, let me let me describe the face Larry just <laughs> gave the beer yeah. after his first sip. It was like. It, almost as if his, his mouth was puckering, but he all, also had a whiplash. Ah. <laughs> I do that often. <laughs> it's your patented move. Yeah. First of all, guys, the real estate discount company Clever, which is you know a great authority on beer, they use some publicly available data to rank 50 of America's cities from best to worst when it comes to beer. So I just want to go over their top 10 and see what you guys think. Um, they based it on number of breweries within each greater metropolitan area, density of breweries per 100 square miles, Average number of beers per brewery, which is an interesting metric, and average number of beer styles per brewery, which is all. Yeah, is it, is it good if a brewery has a lot of beers, or is it bad? I don't. You know what? They didn't actually make it clear. <laughs> they didn't actually. I think it's they want more. I guess, which yeah, I don't know that you agree with that, right? They're, they're valuing variety. I'm sure, yeah. but no, I, I, I typically. Well, I mean, if a brewery can brew a bunch yeah. of different beers, well, that's great. Like I think Mountains Walking does that really mm-hmm. well. But a lot of times, like just focus on a few things and do them well. Yeah, rather just, than 
arbitrarily having more is not necessarily good. Yeah. So eat it. But here's how they ranked them. And I was surprised by a few. They put number 10. They said San Diego. Ooh, number 10. Nine. Yeah, I know. Uh, nine, Cleveland, Ohio. Nice. You think Cleveland's about San Diego? Eight, Tampa, Florida. I hear good things about Tampa's beer scene. I, what's the one? Cigar? What's the Cigar City or cigar something? City? I feel like yeah, I see cigar. that anywhere. That's a good one. You got the uh, Cycle Brewing Company, too. It's a big one. Nice. Then uh, seven, Denver, Colorado, which we've talked about before. I've, I've heard of it, yeah. I would think Denver <laughs> would be higher. Yeah. Six, Portland, Oregon, which I love to drink beer at, but that's I have family there. So it's one of the ones I've been to, so I like it. Never been. Never been. No. Rich, you ever drink beer? Oh, yes, you have. You've, like, hung out at uh, Yeah, I've been at Portland a number of times. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of beer there. Five, very exciting. Very exciting city. Los Angeles, California. Los Angeles, California. Los Angeles got five. five. I'm actually surprised. This says that we have 158 brewers in the area, and I completely disagree. Oh, I mean, I guess, like, the greater Los Angeles area, which covers a great amount of land, maybe. But I've never thought of Los Angeles as a great brewery city. Even though there are some breweries did, that I love here. You did say the criteria included uh, greater metropolitan area. So oh, that's, okay. LA is going to win that regardless. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Four, Philadelphia. Philly. Nice. Three, Chicago. Chateau. Oh, yeah. Know. Two, Indianapolis. Ooh. Cool. Drinking beer in Indianapolis. And they said number one, I know this place is near and dear to your heart, Rich, San Francisco, California. All right, that's right. That's cool. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of cool beer being brewed in San Francisco, but also a lot of great uh, you know bars and restaurants that aren't brewing their beer, but they're serving really great beers and curating them you know for their food and all that. So it's a great scene for sure. That's awesome. That's, that's cool. Uh, Lewis, other than Bozeman, Montana, what is there any cities that you like to travel to to drink beer? You know, there's a couple of cities that I'm really surprised aren't on that list. Actually, I would have thought Portland, Maine, would okay. have been on the top. I would have thought Asheville. Yeah, uh, would have been at the top. Normally, you see those two at the top um, of these kind of lists. Normally, um, so I'm kind of surprised. I think that's got to be well, a size said, thing. Like a, you yeah. said, it was a real estate block. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe they're not enough uh, uh, realtor kickbacks from uh, from yeah, Asheville. It's not a lucrative CRE <laughs> in Asheville. Yeah, I'd say my favorite city to drink in is probably New York City. Okay, I yeah. I think uh, their their beer bar scene is just is. Uh, is better than anywhere I've, I've really nice so that's a bold call um, yeah they have a, they have a lot of good beer bars Spite and Dival mm-hmm. uh, Beer Street uh, some old school ones you know uh, yeah Blind Tiger over Manhattan but yeah I, I think the, the New York kind of gets overlooked a lot and now the brewery game's kind of popping there a lot of the breweries are making really good beer and you combine that with the uh, with the beer bars awesome. it's a pretty cool place and you, you brewed in did you brew in New York I did yeah oh. Yeah, so I might be a little partial. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, no, you, you would know for sure. He brewed at a little brewery no one's heard of called uh, Other Half, and uh, it's kind of <laughs> one of the biggest deal breweries in the world, um, frankly. So, yeah, yeah let's play, play it a role in all that, um, which is very cool. And one other thing, we had one piece of great news, guys. Some great, great news came out of Spain, which is another great authority on beer. Uh, Spain, uh, there's this uh, international peer reviewed journal, Nutrients a team of nutrition and food science researchers. They examined studies about the, the uh, impact of beer on your health. And honestly, we got some good stuff, guys. Okay. I will say beforehand, they like heavily caveat that it is probably not the alcohol that is having the positive impact on your body. It is the other things that are not in beer. But the fourth, they had four positive things. One, moderate, moderate beer drinking. And they say that's two beers a day for men, one for women. Mm-hmm. Moderate beer drinking may protect you against cardiovascular disease. Is a protective effect. I'm good there. I'm good there. Beer is associated with healthy bone density. Our bones are going to be doing great. 
when we're older. We're going to be breaking <laughs> bones when we fall over. That pleases me. Apparently, beer may help to prevent diabetes in men. There you go. That just yeah. It, makes sense. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> no, this is the study. It's a peer. The peers reviewed it. Hey, hey, follow the said, science, Rich. Follow, yeah, follow the, sci- the science. Me, something tells me the Spanish word for diabetes is not the word we use. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, finally, uh, beer may lower cholesterol. The studies suggest that beer helps promote good cholesterol and regulate the body's processing of bad cholesterol. Two beers a day. And Two again, it emphasizes. To yeah, moderate beer drinking, <laughs> moderate beer drinking. <laughs> so there you go, some great news, great news from us. Anyway, yeah, look, I just want to make everyone feel good. Let's get to Lewis. Lewis, we know you brewed at Other Half. We know you now brew at Mountains Walking, kind of a hot brewery uh, right now. It has been for the past few years. I've seen you guys on several best, like new or up and coming breweries lists. I looked it up when Rich like originally said he was working there, and I was like, "Is this a real?" Is this a legitimate enterprise? And apparently it is. It's rich making all this <laughs> And uh, you know, we'll talk about beer in general too, but it looks like you guys know milkshakes, uh, among other things. For instance, last year, uh, your Opaque Thoughts uh, was named by Hop Culture as one of their five favorite milkshake IPAs. So let's, nice. let's, let's talk about you. How long have you been brewing? Um, I've been brewing commercially for eight years now. Um, and then I was home brewing for probably three or four years before that. And I'm working in a bottle shop. So I kind of, I've been in the industry for, you know, a little over 10 years now with the bottle shop experience as well. Awesome. What, what got you into it? You just like drinking beer? Yeah. You know, it was like at a young, at a young age, I, I got into craft beer. I grew up in a little town in West Virginia and we had a brewery that opened in the late eighties. And, um, it was kind of a cool place to, to go, um, you know, in town and, and it kind of got me into, into good beer then. And me and my friends just tried to drink as many different beers as we could, like, you know, at a pretty pretty young age through my early 20s. And then uh, eventually I just started homebrewing and got, in, got into it commercially. So, yeah. Awesome. How did, how did you get to Bozeman? I came here from New York City. So I, I was in New York, um, and my wife is still living in Jackson Hole in Wyoming. Oh, nice, nice. And, uh, and we, uh, we made the agreement that she, she didn't necessarily want to come to New York, so we, we settled on Bozeman. <laughs> It's the New York of Montana. Yeah. They call it Bozan. <laughs> I always like have questions like this for Rich because I always like talking about people in beer, not necessarily just the beer side, the beer, beer technical side of things, but just like the experience of drinking beers and how you go about it. Um, so my question for you, helping us to get to know you. So you're at a brewery you're not familiar with. You know, like you're maybe in a town you don't know, you see a place, maybe all the locals told you this place was good, but you don't know what they do best. You don't know if, like, if they have a specific signature beer or anything like that. You just walk in, you sit at the bar. What is your strat for ordering? How do you, are you asking the, are you asking, what's your strategy? Strat? Your strat. <laughs> Let's hear your strat. Are you, are you, a, are you asking, are you asking a beer tender for like, oh, what is good here? Are you going to look at that list and is there like Wait, a type beer, you Beer tender? Out? Is that a word? Beer tender? Yeah. Can be. They tend to beer. I've never heard of that. Beer tender. That is the term often. Is it? Yeah. A beer tender? The brewmeister. So yeah, what's your, what's your approach? Are you, to the, are you listening to? Are you listening? You call them beer tenders, not just bartenders. You can unbelievable. It's out there. You learn something new every day. <laughs> you learn something new. Well, what they come up with next? <laughs> so, Liz, what's what's your strategy? Like, are you are you seeking out specific styles? Is there like, or do you listen to their suggestions? How do you go about it? Yeah, you know, I think for me, I'm a style person. Um, there are some styles that you know, while I might want to like try a sip of, I definitely don't want to have a whole glass of. A lot of times if I'm going to a new place, I'm going to get a flight off the bat and kind of pick pick the styles that I like and uh, and see what's up, you know. Cool. 
That's a good strat. That's a good strat. Awesome. And uh, I, I just want to say again, the Corporate Ladder Brewing Company in uh, in Wanaki, Wisconsin, is doing good work. I'm really enjoying this beer. Anyway, so I'm wait, so- if I walked into a, if I walked into a <laughs> pub and I was like. Beer. I mean, I probably shouldn't snap my hands, but if I'm like beer tender, they'll know what I'm talking about. Probably. <laughs> I mean, but when you go into a, like a normal bar, do you say like bartender? No, no, because we don't like we don't like that as bartenders. You would you would be laughed out of the place. <laughs> Attitude, however, the terminology would be familiar. I, 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 well, I mean, I, I know I'd be laughed out of the place, but beer tender that's that's new awesome. for me. And one la- one last thing before we actually get to the subject we're going to talk about. So, Lewis, I got this buddy. His name is, let's say, Larry. He's a wine snob. He says wine is way better than beer. He says he's not really into beer. Yeah. Beer's not his thing. Yeah. What would you say to convince him otherwise? How, how can you get him into beer? Well, I'd say... He's very snobby. He's very snobby. Very snobby. <laughs> I mean, two, I guess there's two points that I would bring up. One, I would just try to find something that he likes. You know, if he's into wine... Like there might be some kind of like fruited wine barrel aged sour beer that you can cross over pretty well with that he might not even know exists. Um, my, my interest is peaked. If, if I was this, <laughs> if I was this friend, Larry, if I was this friend. Larry. <laughs> but the other thing I would say that the thing that I like about beer is it's um it's an affordable luxury. Like the best, you know, the best beer in the world, arguably, you know, is is could be under ten dollars, you know, on the shelf, um, or it could be you know sixty to eighty dollars depending on what beer you know. That is. So, uh, you know, I love wine and I love beer. That's what I like a little bit better about beer is um, it's an affordable luxury that a lot of people have access to. So that's a good argument. I mean, I've not heard that. If I knew this Larry that Uh you're talking about, I would say that was pretty persuasive. That's (laughs) That's great. I'm I'm being serious. I mean, you know, I mean, especially it's affordable. You know what I mean? It is affordable. It's the people's drink. And you had me at sour, too. Like, I mean, you (laughs) This, this hypothetical man named Larry does yeah, like sour things. Yeah. He likes pickles. Yeah, if you said pickles were involved, sour. if you mentioned like yeah. raw fish, that'd been good too. Hold, hold on, hold on one second, guys. So Lewis, remember um, we were getting those cans of pickle beer from that brewery in oh, Texas yeah, every yeah. once in a while. Every time we got those, I told Larry he just lost his mind. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> loves those. Oh, I, they're so god. good. I like. Them. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! If you get more cans, save some for me, Rich. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> Cool. I got a guy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And I know, so yeah, and I know, Rich, you also have some questions um, for this discussion. We're going to get into it. Let's start with milkshake, milkshake IPAs um, as our starting off point. So, Lewis, what is a milkshake IPA? Cool. So, I guess we can like go over the history of milkshake IPAs now that there actually is one. I'd say they're, they've probably been being brewed for maybe six years now. Um, tired, tired hands. And Omnipolo, uh, which was like a Swedish um, contract brewer, um, they kind of collaborated and made the first one. Then Tired Hands started rolling out a series of them after that. Um, I became, I became uh, quite fond of them, actually, like probably, you know, five years ago when I when uh, people started trading them and I would get them when I was brewing in North Carolina. But yeah, so it's a fruited IPA, typically brewed with lactose. So uh, there's some back sweetness in there. And then fruited. Hold on. So what's what's lactose? So lactose is milk sugar, which is only three percent fermentable. So it leaves residual sugar in the finished product, uh, and it raises that finishing gravity, which kind of gives it a silky almost mouthfeel, kind of creamy mouthfeel. So and, and it has a little creamy flavor as well. What about uh, what? 
like vanilla, lactose, are both of those necessary? Can you get away with having neither and still have it be a milkshake? Yeah, I used to say that I thought all milkshake IPAs needed vanilla. I don't know. That's just what I think of when I think of them because Tired Hands was always pretty heavy on the vanilla with theirs. And But now the breweries are starting to use some different extracts that have like kind of vanilla notes to them, cake batter, you know, things like that, where I would say... You're going to need to repeat that one. <laughs> cake batter? Yeah, I feel like, you know, you're starting to see some crazy extracts being used in milkshake IPAs, cheesecake extract, um, cake batter extract. So some of these probably aren't going to need vanilla uh, with them. But yeah, and, and, you know, if you would have asked me three years ago, I would have said lactose, fruit, vanilla bean. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, get, the, that's the basics. Getting into like the dumbest, the dumbest version then of like when when you're making like if you're making a beer with cake batter extract, is it just straight up? You're just dumping cake batter extract in there and stirring it in to flavor it. Like after it's so a lot. There's different methods people could use. A lot of people probably add it on the fermentation side, and then like you know you'll recircuit. So which w- essentially would be stirring it up basically. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So this extract, by the way, it is an extract. We're not pouring actual, you know, Duncan Hines cake batter into the beer. It's a, it's a thing that's made by like Moretti, I think, or Amoretti. Amoretti makes some, I found some other ones that Mm -hmm. that I really like too recently. There's, it's become quite a big business, (laughs) but you know, vanilla beans, we don't use extract. We use real, you know, Tahitian and vanilla beans expensive. And that's one thing that I I, I'm kind of picky on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could yeah, you so could, could you could you use real cake batter? Could you? Is there a world where you're mixing a little bit of cake batter? Like mix it in it like the, or like even some sort of like cream. Just like get it in there and like it would make obviously the texture might be unpleasant, or you might need to filter <laughs> yeah. it or something. But could you? I, would this work? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's been done. A brewery that I worked at in North Carolina called Newgrass Brewing Company. They do a bunch of wild stuff and. uh or a bunch of you know crazy stuff, and Zach, my buddy over there, is using like a cream in his uh, smoothie sours now, and it is, it's uh, it's interesting, you know, it's uh, it'll separate too. Every yeah. Now and then. Oh wow. It's, it's, <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. You can put whatever the hell you want in your beer, and if it tastes good and smells good, Go then ahead. that's great, you know. But yeah. you also have to worry about the appearance. Yeah. And I think you know. Five, five, six years ago, when Lewis was talking about the you know milkshake IPA sort of starting, um, I think it was riffing off of the New England IPA, which is super hazy, cloudy. You know, it's supposed to look like orange juice, that sort of beer. And you know, like prior to that, everyone's like, "Oh, we have to get our beers as clear as possible." Mm. And so the, the definitions or the the boundaries of customer acceptance, consumer acceptance for hazy, murky, weird looking beers is really changing. So I think if you put something creamy in there, something that's sort of like emulsified, like a, like cake batter, actual cake batter. And it splits in the beer. I mean, like who, who, you know, who among us didn't have a cement mixer in college, you know, like disgusting <laughs> drinks that are supposed to split in the, in the shot glass, you know, like that's not a real good look for the beer, but if people will drink it, that's okay. I guess. <laughs> and then, yeah, the other thing about the style too, I'd say it definitely pulls off in the new England style and that like it's low bitterness. Um, so generally that bitterness would play against any fruit that would be in there. So you kind of want to take all that bitterness out. I feel like um, uh, is, is trying to drop that bitterness to as least as less possible. Yeah, is there room for a bitter milkshake IPA? I don't think so. I, I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's even weird, right? Yeah. Even when you use fruits that, that can be bitter, it, it's, it tends to get a little overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, yeah, we did. We did an orange one with uh, orange creamsicle. 
Ooh, um, a couple months ago. Good. That sounds yeah, good. Sounds good. Yeah, and it was just we just used a little too much orange, probably, but um, and it, it picked up a little bitterness from the orange okay. in there. Okay, know, which is yeah, like if you if you bite into an orange, you know, or have an, or, an orange segment, orange juice, it's not real bitter because it doesn't have the pith in it. But I guess you know there are ways of getting orange purees and stuff that include a lot of the the oils from the skin. So to get both the juice and the pulp and the oils from the skin, you often get the pith as well, and so that can be a, a pretty bitter. Gotcha. So why do they end up being like, they tend to lean fruity in general. Like I know they have like cake batter and vanilla and, and creamier sort of flavors, but it seems like you're not going to have, like, could we ever have a chocolate milkshake IPA? Like why, why fruit? Is it because the hops and because you're dealing with the starting point? I'm sure someone has done something like that at this point. I'd say the weirdest one we've done so far is uh, coconut, marshmallow, uh, vanilla, so, I mean, not typically flavors you associate with hops necessarily, mm-hmm. but, you know, we try to find hop profiles that match the flavor profiles of the beer. So we use like a lot of Sabro in that, which has a lot of like coconut and kind of lime notes to it. So Sabro, yeah, it's a, it's and, a variety of hop that yeah. has some of those aromas. Gotcha. And it played nicely with the fruit and the marshmallow. So, and just like we've done a cherry chocolate sour beer um, or smoothie sour. Like, so it would definitely not surprise me. I, I remember Thomas Creek in South Carolina brewed up orange IPA, orange, chocolate orange IPA like 10 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen it done, but it's far and few gotcha. between. Well, I, I, know, I, think, I know it's relatively new, but are there, are there different classifications for the – because on some of them, uh, as I was looking, looking them up, some of them will say double milkshake. Like what does it mean – like is, what does double milkshake mean versus anything else, and is there a classification for them? Mm-hmm. You want to take it or you can? Well, I, I think here's all right, here's my beef. I'm sort of an insider and an outsider on this because, like, I've you know been in the beer industry for a long time and I've brewed, you know brewed at a number of different breweries and I uh, love drinking all sorts of new styles of beer. But at the same time, I like beers that have you know t- stood the test of time. And for me, you know, 500 years is is sometimes not even long enough for for the test of time. So something like a new milkshake IPA or something that's got you know, any of these kind of newfangled flavors, I really prize balance and drinkability. I shouldn't say balance because I like a lot of really aggressive, bitter IPAs. But anyway, I just really like drinkability. And some of these newer styles, they're not as drinkable. But the idea that there's like a uh, written recipe or, or a goal goalpost for like what milkshake IPA should be is sort of anathema to a lot of brewers because they want to be different. And so a lot of people will say, oh, milkshake IPA should be sort of standard IPA range of like 6% alcohol, 7% alcohol. And if you want to go into the 8, 9, 10% alcohol, then it should be a double milkshake or an imperial milkshake or something. But other brewers just say, ah, screw it. You know, I'm just going to go for something that's, you know, 8% alcohol. Like Opaque Thoughts at Mountains Walking is often around 8% alcohol. And I don't think we don't call it, or you, I don't work there anymore. So, but like you, you didn't call it like a double or imperial milkshake, did you? It, it is, yeah. Oh, it is. It's a there double, you go. <laughs> it's, it's, a what du- I know. <laughs> it's a double milkshake IPA. And I just, that's just me being picky, I think. You okay. Know, it's 8%. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like if you look at Untapped when I have to list it, you, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? That's what it's listed as. Okay. Yeah. But it's sort of it's sort of arbitrary. You, you say, all right, eight percent in regular IPA world means double IPA. Therefore, if this milkshake IPA is eight percent, exactly. okay, yeah, a double milkshake. Okay, yeah, there might be a little bit of gray area with it, especially with hazy IPAs, because when you think of like the old school and Teddy Top or Sip of Sunshine, they're all eight percent. And a lot of people don't think of those as double IPAs; they just think of them as like hazy IPA, or like grandfather, yeah, 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 start of the style. <laughs> so, 
it's um yeah it's probably depends on where you're at too so at what point and rich i'm curious on i'm like i think you'll have thoughts on this too is basically like the role of it being a beer at at a certain point you know you have like a milkshake ipa and you're adding all these flavors and you're moving away you're at sometimes there's so many flavors it doesn't taste like a beer at all even like Mm -hmm. the the strawberry vanilla thing i just drank was great it was sour Mm -hmm. it was like i was drinking a smoothie um obviously milkshake ips tend ipas tend to have a little bit more of a the beer a little more of the beer taste sings through are you trying to are you i guess it's more are you try are you concerned with keeping some of the ipa kind of classic flavor in there some of the hop flavor um is there a certain point when it's like no longer a beer to you yeah you're you're talking you know it's interesting to hear your frame of reference and say like when has milkshake ipa become so different from ipa that it's it's something different or smoothie sour but like rewind to you know even like 30 years ago when american style craft beer was like this big polarizing weird set of flavors and why you know why do we need hops that smell like grapefruit pine and and orange and maybe even cannabis like that's a very classic american hop but you know in the 70s and 80s that was like that was a bridge too far it's like no that's not what beer should smell like or taste like Hmm. nowadays we've totally come to accept that and so we're brewers are constantly pushing the envelope and trying to get come up with new flavors and and you know the agriculture side has 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 responded you know so there are now hop farmers that are trying to breed uh you know hop like universities that are breeding new hop varieties that smell like totally new stuff that we never thought we could get out of out of a you know the green flower of the hop plant you know things like blueberry or coconut things like that that like you just don't think of when you think of beer and so i think that um that frame of reference is constantly changing constantly uh um, expanding. So I think another, another question along these lines is, is something I'd like to ask Lewis, like, you know, 20 years ago, we had an impression of IPA 40 years ago, like hardly anyone had heard, had heard of IPA, but it was one thing 20 years ago, it expanded, it became much more bitter, much more aggressive with the American hops. And nowadays it's like IPA is just totally uh, expanded into a thousand different versions. So where does, where does that leave us? Is a milkshake IPA actually an IPA? What what matters about IPA? Well, yeah. I mean, at least for me, I try to I try to strike a balance with the milkshake IPA that's different when I than when I'm brew, brewing a smoothie sour, say, you know, and I just want it to be all about the fruit. Mm-hmm. With milkshake IPAs, I do want like the hop presence to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dry hop is kind of it's a big dry hop for most breweries. I mean, depending on what you're doing. So, I mean, it is prominent on the nose like you know it smells like an ipa yeah you, you know what i mean if it's brewed in the way that i prefer mm-hmm. now i have brewed a couple lately where i've added fruit at a different point in time and it's kind of switched it up um and that was kind of the overall theme of those beers it was like a mango lassie one which tends to be a thicker kind of drink you know and then um we got some nerds that listen yeah, to the show so, yeah, so and, what, what do you mean by that so like when you switch up the timing you want to go into that a little bit yeah, so like generally with milkshake IPAs, I like to add the fruit during fermentation, uh, so it ferments out completely. Whereas like with smoothie sour beer, the fruit will be added, and you'll add in the bright tank, and then you'll add um, you know potassium sorbate, kind of a trick from the wine industry essentially to hopefully halt fermentation from there on out. But it leaves all that fruit in suspension when you add it in the bright tank. Whereas when you add it in the fer- fermenter, it ferments out, so you end up without the puree and a finished product. I like that method for milkshake IPAs in general. Uh, I like to ferment the fruit out. I feel like it kind of complements the hops that way and doesn't overpower them. 
I've done it twice now without doing that, adding it in the bright tank like we do with our smoothie sours, and it creates a completely different beer. Um, people still seem to like, but it's it's uh, it's it's much more along the smoothie sour range and it's, it's less like an ipa i'm yeah, sorry, I'm sorry. When, you say, when you say bright when you say bright tank i, I mean uh, what what do you mean by bright tank cool so yeah on the on the fermentation side of brewing you've got fermenters which are like the conical you know vessels that you see in a brewery and then you've got a little squatty kind of cylinder tanks that are called bright tanks. So you ferment in the fermenters and the conicals, and then you'll transfer to the bright tanks, the bright tank. which is where you'll carbonate and keg or package from. Ostensibly, you're, you're letting the beer go bright, which means you're letting all the particulate drop out. So you often, like in a traditional brewery 20 years ago, you would run the beer through a filter to get it into the bright tank. So at the bright tank, it looks bright. Mm. Like it doesn't have yeast floating around in it. You know, no one would have put fruit in it 20 years ago, but you know, you wouldn't have fruit or anything else in it. And it's, it's ready to be packaged. Like it's fully ready beer. It's but now bright. Yeah. bright tank, still use that term, but the beer doesn't have to look bright because, because frankly, the consumers don't demand it anymore. And there are a lot of interesting, interesting things that can be done that leave the beer tasting amazing, but it doesn't always look bright. That's okay. Yeah, so it's basically just two different methods of fruiting. One, you end up with more fruit in the final product, mm-hmm. and other, you'll end up with the color, but not necessarily the fruit in the, in the product. Gotcha. Got it. Um, so also then, why IPAs? Why, why are we not seeing like more milkshake American pale ales or milkshake quarter? Is it just the popularity of IPAs, or is there another reason why it seems like IPAs in particular seem to have really been hit hard by milkshake? Hit hard by milkshake. Yeah. I like the, the milkshake trucking. Yeah. <laughs> Took out IPA. Uh, well, I mean, hearing Lewis's ideas on this, and I, I agree with these, is that, you know, a milkshake IPA still retains some IPA-ness about it. You know, something IPA-ish about it. What what that is, is that it's hop forward. And so a milkshake, even if it has other fruits in it, you should still be able to smell and, and notice really interesting hop aromatics. And so that is... That's like the most exciting thing in, you know, the beer revolution in the past 40 or 50 years so far. It's just like, what interesting aromas can we get in beer um, <clears throat> that people weren't expecting, you know, 100 years ago? And those aromas come most efficiently from hops. And so the IPA uh, category really has continued to, to evolve and subdivide into lots of different versions. Um, but it's always got this underpinning of really interesting usually fruity and floral aromas mm-hmm. from hops. And so I think it's the milkshake idea works within that. Why why aren't there other sorts of beers that are heavily hopped? Yeah, well, we see like a, a milkshake amber ale or something, mm-hmm. like a milkshake brown, which doesn't sound appetizing. I, but Some of that is if you're a brewery trying to innovate something, something new, um, you want some return on your investment. And IPA is a fairly safe category mm-hmm. to – to make those innovations, but also to make some money off of it. If you put IPA on your can or your bottle, well, you can't put IPA on a bottle because it's not going to sell. IPA on cans is, is what sells the most. That's me just being cynical, saying bottles don't sell as well as cans anymore. But um, but yeah, IPA is just a label that that sells, even if it's confusing and almost like somewhat meaningless now. I mean, there's just so many different iterations or interpretations of IPA. By far the largest category mm-hmm. or the number one selling you know category in mm-hmm. beer. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. But Manny, to your to your point or to your question, I think a lot of other beers are being tweaked with and, you know, all sorts of stuff's being thrown in them. And, you know, 10 years ago, that was like, let's get adventurous and make a, uh, you know, a, a vanilla bean coffee porter. 
Mm. You know, and that was that was it's still a delicious beer, but it, it doesn't seem as um, far out there as, as it used to. And nowadays that, that trend is just, you know, blossomed. And so it's like, let's throw so much different stuff into so many different beers. But again, IPA just makes money yeah. and makes headlines and people buy it. I've seen I've seen some uh, milkshake uh, Imperial Stouts out there. Okay. Maybe Untitled Art in Wisconsin mm-hmm. is putting out some, and that's what they're labeling as. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So. How is that different from Dessert Cart? I, I would imagine it's got the fruit in suspension. Okay. So it's like a big stout. I feel like you'll see with like syrup or whatever, you know, coffee or whatever, but then fruit and then the fruit puree still in suspension, I think. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm that- referencing the dessert cart uh, line of beers that Mountains Walking Brews, which are all stouts, but they're kind of big, aggressive, aggressive in alcohol, but also a lot of sweetness to right. them. And then they're flavored with all sorts of different, you know. Yeah, that was that was kind of what I was going to ask about because there's like milk stouts and there's bourbon barrel aged stouts, and obviously, Rich, we've talked about like the brewery in Anheim mm. a lot mm-hmm. that does like a lot of like desserty sweet, all, like beer that tastes like an Love almond joy brewery. kind of beers and stuff like Love that. The brewery. Why is the label milkshake not? Would the milkshake label apply to them? I guess is it just that they're not using it? You want to take stab? I'd say now it's more coined like with the term pastry stouts. So you're seeing a lot of like big sweet stouts that people are calling pastry stouts. Um, so normally there's like the flavor combinations mimic those of like you know pa- different pastries. And then yeah, at the times I've seen fruit involved with a couple breweries calling them milkshake you know stouts, but for the most part they're called pastry stouts like okay. what we. So it's mostly label, list kind of labeling choices, though. Yeah, point. yeah. It's not like an official category. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Maddie, the, you know the the beers from the brewery that you're talking about. If you just tasted them blind and were given a uh, an ingredient list, you might say, "Yeah, this this is milkshake esque." You know, mm-hmm. and maybe the fruits in suspension, maybe it's not. But you know, the fact is, the brewery's been brewing those sorts of beers for a while, and some some of the time they call them the pastry stout. Sometimes they just call them. You know, imperial stout aged in you know fifteen different types of barrels and thrown in you know with all sorts of crazy stuff added to it. It's up to the brewery. I mean, not the the brewery. You know, like the uh, brewery with a little b uh, to decide. You know what mm-hmm. what you can put on the label because there's not a lot of legal yeah. stuff in the U.S. for how you label your beer. You just have to have the Surgeon General's warning on there and say the alcohol level and you should be good. You know. I was, well, is there any sort of like stigma with the label milkshake? Have you have you seen any? Of that? You know, when I was shopping for bottles and I found these there are a lot of beers that are you know they have milk sugar or they have lactose or they have lactose milk sugar all these things and they seem to go out of their way even sometimes to not say milkshake or they'll just say like i saw one day it was called like sticky a sticky thicky ale and it was just had milk sugar and even a difficulty on the selling side to sell it to people is there any sort of resistance or stigma with milkshake beers i don't think so i think it i think it helps you know what i mean like really like uh it's just a popular style right now and for us yeah like i mean we're we're gonna put it on on the king because it, it's definitely cool. and, and and it just separates that from the other ip hazy ipas that we make too but yeah i don't think so there's it's also part of the trend of new england ipas bringing in new demographics to drinking beer so i think there's a huge there's been a huge growth in the past decade of the different types of people that are now drinking you know technically beer but you know it's i keep talking about 20 years ago as if like that's where i'm i'm mired but you know in a way i am that's that's you know when i cut my teeth drinking beer and started brewing you know 16 or 17 years ago i think the crowd that i ran with would never want to buy a beer that has milkshake on it that seems weird but that was also back when 
the people that drank craft beer was a, that was a really small slice of society. And now there's, yeah, there's so many different demographics drinking beer. And so, so many breweries make, I mean, there's a lot more breweries, they're brewing a lot more beers, you know, a lot more beers being sold. And so you can put milkshake on a beer and it's going to sell like crazy to some people. And that's great because the brewery's going to make money. And if they can also brew other stuff too, to satisfy other demographics, then that's great. Yeah. Like our hypothetical friend, Larry. Oh yeah. We we should talk to him because he says milkshake. (laughs) I mean, he I'm likes the mil- he's into the yeah, milkshake. milkshake. He like, likes milkshake. Let me go ahead and try it. Yeah. Why not? Like, I've had these arguments with old school brewers <laughs> for six years now, you know, and there's so many old brewers, farts, you know, like older, <laughs> older brewers. They get so they're like, they're just legitimately like mad, you oh, know, yeah. that the beer, that the beers that they enjoy from the nineties are not what is popular right now. Oh wow. And, and it's like, I, I called someone out a couple months ago and it's like, did you ever seem to think that, Maybe there's a lot more people, different kinds of people drinking beer now. It's not just yeah. like the 25 to 35-year-old white dude sitting there drinking beer. You know what I mean? There's yeah. a lot more people drinking beer right now. And maybe these flavor combinations are just more representative of like a, a more diverse you know, population actually drinking this beer. I mean, it's still not the most diverse community in the world, but I think it is definitely a reflection of that. You know, mm-hmm. not everyone wants an Amber Ale that was brewed in 1995. Like there's a lot of people that are getting into this that are in their early and mid twenties. And like, and that's what they're gravitating towards and they can drink a whole milkshake IPA. Maybe I can't, you know what I mean? But they definitely can. And they're drinking plenty of them, you know? So. Well, it can be know. a gateway too, you know? I mean, like, cause I mean, once you get, you know, once you get in there and start drinking, like, I mean, I think when I started drinking beer, it's like, whatever you start drinking then all of a sudden you're open to more styles and yeah. i mean who knows you know come, come for the pickles stay for the malt yeah yeah come anytime there's pickles you come for the pickles i don't know i wonder yeah I wonder, I wonder how how much how out. much pickle beers have expanded the market <laughs> on their own yeah they're a thing in texas now I, wow. I can dig multiple we're on board i mean but board. see here's the thing I, I i will do the milkshake but do you leave i will the do the pickle beer but i would do the amber beer brewed in 1995 <laughs> <laughs> question about like flavors have you ever had a flavor that either you tasted someone else's beer you don't have to say who or it was just your own attempt at a at a flavor that was just a total flop that just totally didn't work hmm. yeah that's a good question um you know, nothing, nothing really comes to mind. I've had some that I prefer more than others. I'd say the the probably the craziest flavor combination that I've done so far. We're brewing next week, which will be like a passion fruit cake batter mm. uh, milkshake IPA. Oh. I'm slightly skeptical about the flavor combination, but at the same time, I think it could work. So uh, <laughs> it's it's a it's a collaboration with the brewery from Ohio, and and uh, we're just gonna wing it and see. I would say, other than that, the the marshmallow coconut vanilla, like, it's 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 definitely a really different IPA. You, you know, it's not necessarily my cup of tea, but people seem to really enjoy it too. So, um, what's what's the strangest flavor of milkshake beer you've ever seen? And Rich, I'll throw that question to you too. What's the weirdest? What's the weirdest flavor of milkshake IPA you've you've seen? I brewed a lavender lemon one probably five Ooh. or six years ago. Oh. That sounds cool. Which, that does sound cool. Yeah, I mean, it was better than it than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, shoot, for me, I really think I've seen some with coffee in them, which is not impossible to pull off. But you just you got a lot. You're setting up 
a lot of roadblocks, a lot of challenges mm-hmm. to make this beer really successful. And I think, you know, like a good chef can, and I don't necessarily mean someone who's like got all the training in the world and runs a great restaurant, but you know, anyone who really understands flavor and, and can control how food is cooked and how it ends up being perceived on the palate based on its texture or, you know, how much fat's in it or salt in it or whatever can make pretty much any set of flavors work together if they know what they're doing. You know, if they're at a restaurant, once they make the good combination of flavors, it's up to them to figure out how to sell it, describe it nicely on the menu. But I think that the idea of asking Lewis, like, you know, are there, are there real misfires or failures out there of certain flavor combinations? I don't know that it's a particular flavor combination. It's just, it's the talent of the brewer to pull it off. The execution. Say, like, yeah, I need a little more bitterness in this, or I need a little bit more carbonation. I mean, carbonation has a huge role to play in all this stuff too. So yeah, it's, um, there are a lot of hard things to do out there, but if you're really talented, you can pull it off. And I think you made a really good point, at least drawing the culinary world into this, because I think that's what we've seen out of the last six or seven years is a huge influence from the food side of things. We have a, seen a lot of crossover. Uh, I don't know how many friends I have that are brewers now that have come over from the food world. And I think like the, you're seeing a lot of that reflected in styles right now and mm-hmm. flavor combinations. Yeah, it's fun. It's a, it's a wild west out here now for, for what beer can be. So let's throw all sorts of flavors in and see what works. And, and the, the ones that can do it best typically have a lot of training in flavor, not just brewing. So, yeah, it's, it's a... It's, I mean, it's that's great. Time. I mean, that's great. I mean, you find that exciting, right, Rich? Or, or? Oh, I eat it up. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> if that's a pun or not, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, let's get, the, let's get more flavor into beer and figure out how to tweak it and balance it right. And the other thing is, like, you always hear about, like, European wine being food wines, okay, versus American wine being cocktail wine. And the idea behind that is that, like, a food wine is better with food or it almost needs food. Like, it's good on its own, but, you know, it's really better with food because there's something innate about it that's sort of out of balance or lacking or something's weird. But Mm. if you bring the right food, all of a sudden it completes it, you know, whereas, like, cocktail wines or, like, American wines, a lot of it's like, hey, it's just good on its own. It doesn't need food. It's kind of internally balanced in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of old school beers are sort of like that too. Like I can drink Pilsner all day, but after you know, a couple of them, it's like, I really want some, you know, I want some, some ham or I want some sausage or some bread or something, you know, cheese or whatever, something with it. Whereas with a milkshake IPA, it's like, Jesus, you know, I got to like hold on to the reins and just, just hope that I can like hold on to this beer and figure out all the flavors that are in it. You know, There's so much going on in it. So what is the right like occasion for a milkshake IPA? Like, and this is obviously waking like, up. Yeah, I was saying, yeah, I know like anytime is a proper answer, but just in terms of like, you know, there's like a sessionable IPA that you're going to go and have a few and sit a while. There's, you can, there's obviously like Richard said, pairing with food. So what is like the ideal time to either to drink a, a milkshake IPA? Are you planning on drinking more than one? You're just going to go have one? I feel like for me, it'd be like dessert, you, you, mm-hmm. you know, like if I wanted a dessert beer, that's probably when I would drink, drink it. You know, they're, they are drinkable in that they're not always super, super sweet. And I think a lot of desserts, like the sweeter it is, almost the better it is. And so I think there's something to be said for a multi-course dessert. Like go to go to a restaurant, <laughs> you know, why just pay eight bucks for a slice of pie or something like that? Let's let's get a couple, you know, a little dessert, uh, like the ap- aperitif for dessert, the thing that gets you warmed up and primed for dessert. So I'd say it's like after you've had your, your, your savory main, and uh, you want to have, um, you know, you're getting into dessert. So you start with a, a few sips of, uh, of a good milkshake IPA and then hit, uh, you know, move on to the pastry after that. Let's say I'm visiting Mountains Walking. I walk in. I sit at the bar. 
Should I order the you milkshake? Say beer, you say beer tender. I say beer, t- t- beer tender. Larry will bring him over. Um, <laughs> do I do I order the milkshake IPA first? Should I order that first? Should I get? Should I warm up with something a little more traditional? Or I would. Yeah, you know, I would definitely. Yeah, I mean, let's put it this way: they brew some awesome beers that are a lot more subtle and so if you want to enjoy the subtlety of those beers or enjoy those beers at all start with you those. shouldn't have something that that knocks out of your palate it makes you you know need the the more intense flavors okay got it yeah okay. i put i mean as far as our beer list is concerned i put milkshake ipa right below sweets and dessert cards sweets and dessert card as far as like flavor killers mm-hmm. or i mean mm-hmm. palate killers so like yeah you'd you'd progress want to progress through a few different styles before you hit that one, in my opinion. How many, how many beers, beers do you have on tap there? Now it's not quite as many as when you were there. It's probably like 18 or 19 right that's now. A oh, wow, yeah. That's a lot. Wow, wow. Well, how, you many, were, how many were there when you were there, Rich? It was more than that? Well, a handful. It was like 22 or something like that. I, he's, he's splitting hairs, but yeah, yeah, you get a lot of options when you go there. Cool. And then, uh, then to cut over just briefly to smoothies, smoothie beers, smoothie sours, what's a smoothie? Yeah. What's a smoothie sour? I guess let's start with. Okay, so like, yeah, how we were talking about earlier when when um, when you add the fruit, right? That is like pretty much what makes a smoothie sour. So smoothie sours are fruited in the bright tank; they're not fruited in the fermenter. So fruit in the bright tank leaves that fruit puree in suspension, which is like gives it that smoothie look because it looks like there's fruit in the glass. Mm-hmm. Um, so typically, you're going to see lactose in there. You're going to see a really high finishing gravity. So it's going to be What's the gravity? Um, so gravity is just like essentially um, the residual sugar content. Uh, once the beer is finished, is going to be high. Um, and then you're, the sourness kind of cuts that. So we get a lot of people that think the beer is still not sweet because the sourness cuts that sweetness down. But it gives it that thickness and texture when you leave that all that residual sugar in there. So a lot of these sours are finishing as high as, as a lot of people's pastry imperial stouts. So it's like it, 12% sugar by volume. Wow. So it's a lot of sugar, mm-hmm. but there's so much other stuff in there. It's, you know, a little bit of bitterness and a little bit of carbonation to cut that. But mostly you're talking about acidity from the fruit that's cutting through that, that sweetness. Yeah. And a lot of people will kettle sour or, you know, they, they're souring these beers somehow, like however they go about it. And we we use a yeast that produces lactic acid when it ferments. So we'll sour it out, have that really high residual sugar content, add the fruit in the bright tank, and then sometimes we'll get a little vanilla in there depending on the flavor combination. But, yeah, and then you're pretty much just left with a fruit smoothing sour beer. We'll brew these beers. We'll brew ours to probably 11, 10%, 11%. And then you essentially we dilute back with all this fruit so it's nothing for us to say on a 900 gallon batch to add 2000 pounds of fruit, which is a lot. Um, wow. It ends up being like 30% fruit by weight. Wow. And so you got, if you got a beer that's 11 or 12% alcohol, but you're adding a bunch of fruit to it that is zero alcohol. Uh, and in fact has a lot of sugar and a lot of acid, then you're adding, you're diluting this like very strong beer um, that's not that enjoyable to drink without the fruit. Like it's a, it's intentionally out of balance, and then the fruit gets in there and balances it out, and brings down that alcohol level, brings up the acidity, brings up the sweetness. It's a it's a really cool uh, transformation. And how long is the the brewing process from like beginning to brew a milkshake or fruity sour to it's um, coming out of the tap or it's being canned? How how long would you think? What, what's your guess? Um, 
<laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, let me see if I guess. Let's see. So, I mean, you're not um, like just coming out of the, t- I mean, I don't know, like a month, six weeks? Say three weeks. Three weeks. Wow. Basically, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're close later. That, that's, that's great. I think a lot of people think these are really complex beers. So, oh, therefore, they must take three months to do. So, but, you know. so, so the stuff you're putting in the bright tank, what I'm saying, how long is that sitting in, in – how long is it sitting there with, in the bright tank? So essentially, yeah, ferments, maybe a week. Okay. Push it in the bright, fruit it, fruit. carbonate it. I'd say it sits in a bright tank for three days. Tops. Oh, three days. Got it. Okay. Yeah. You're basically making a cocktail. Right, so you make yeah. a beer that ferments. You know, so, so the idea of like fermenter versus bright tank and all that stuff. Let's ignore that for a second. Just talk about like, is the fruit being fermented by yeast or is it not? Okay, and so what what they'll do, or what any maker of this stuff will do, what any producer of this stuff will do, is make a beer, and that takes because they're using ale yeast or maybe they're using a quick acting bacteria. Yeah, well, it takes about three weeks to ferment it, and then. You got a beer, so it's done. But if you want to, you can add fruit to it, right? And so it's just like making a cocktail at home. You're just mixing fruit into the beer, and that only takes another, you know, couple days to a do that. A few days, got yeah. it. But the brewing then, process from work to beer is like three weeks, basically. Is what you're saying? Yeah, mm-hmm. got yeah. it. Yeah. So I mean, you're seeing like it's it's a huge style right now. Blown it's up. blown up. Yeah. There's a couple, you know, 450 North Drecker. There's uh, Kings over. In LA, they're they're the ones that I hear hear about a lot over there, uh, right now. But you know, what's the difference between a slushy sour and a smoothie sour? And a uh, there's another one out there. I think it starts with S. <laughs> I can't remember, but I think slushy and smoothie is basically the same. Right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I've been try- yeah. A lot of breweries are trying to like you know d- jump the not not jump the gun, but you know get, get some get some press for it, and so they'll send out a press release and say like, hey, we got a whole bunch of slushy style beers coming mm-hmm. out. So you know, hit yeah. us up, and it's it's not that they're not innovative. Like those beers are super crazy, interesting beers. But I think the the race to come up with different names is, yeah. um, you know, it's confusing the style a little bit because, frankly, a style is coalescing. You know, this is something that you know Tired Hands and Omnipolo started a few years back with a milkshake, and then you know doing this sort of thing with sour and, and with and um, not fermenting the, the fruit is a little bit newer than that too. But all this stuff is just taken off. But so, will we ever see it as a category? What you mean? Like, <laughs> in a festival? You mean? At BJCP, we're going to see a milkshake IPA category or a smoothie-style sour category? So BJCP category? Is, is funny because it's – so BJCP stands for the Beer Judge Certification Program, and it is a real um, arbiter of what is and not what is and what is not allowed in a lot of beer styles. Hmm. But really, it's for homebrewers so that homebrewers can brew – to certain uh, accepted style guidelines. And then the judges at these homebrew festivals will judge uh, these, these homebrews. And so it is somewhat limited to the homebrew sphere. And I don't think there are a lot of homebrewers that are getting their hands on, you know, tons and tons of fruit puree and potassium sorbate and all that to make these sorts of beers. I think they're, you know, some of the more advanced ones are excited about doing this, but it's not really taken off in the homebrew sphere so much yet. But yeah, like big professional festivals, like will will the Brewers Association judge it in Great American Beer Festival, or will it be a thing for uh, the World Beer Cup or European Beer Star? Like, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see if there, if there's enough beer out there in the market and these breweries are brewing it, then it's up to these judging certificate or judging authorities to stay current. You know, stay up, keep up with the market. So, Lewis, what what got you into this? What got you into milkshake IPAs? What got you into the, these these fruity styles? 
I think, so I opened a brewery in North Carolina called Newgrass Brewing Company. I mentioned them earlier. We opened in 2015. And at that point in time, I had been having friends that lived up north send me packages of like, of, you know, Hetty Topper and Lawson's and Trillium started sneaking in there and then other half eventually. So I, we started making hazy IPA at Newgrass in early 2016. And we were just always kind of trying to stay on top of trends uh, back then. And not soon thereafter, I think what CBC in 16 was in Crapper's conference was in Philly and that's where tired hands is. So we went out there and had um, tasted a couple of their milkshake IPAs and then just started brewing them as soon as, soon as we got back. Because we were trying to be the first to market essentially back then with, with them. Because in North Carolina, no one else was, I mean, making hazy beer, much less milkshake IPAs. Uh, so that's kind of, yeah, that's what that's what got me into them. And, and I enjoyed them, you know. And it's kind of, you know, at this point, I, I drink a lot of lager beer and my, flavor, my palate's changed. But I still try to make you know the best interpretations of every of, of every beer that i can and it might not be necessarily what i drink these days but i've had a ton of them from a lot of different people and i i, I think we do a pretty good job they're great talking, man. So, I, I gotta yeah. say like i'm i'm impartial at this point because I, I don't work for mountains walking anymore lewis you're a hell of a brewer you, you can put together a crazy list of ingredients and come up with something that tastes really damn good and I'm similar to you, like, I don't know if I want more than one can of some of these things, but I'm happy to drink that full can because it's, it's continuing to tell me more and more stuff throughout the can. That sounds, that's a weird way of phrasing it. <laughs> but, like, there's just so much nuance in there. And there's so many, like, pitfalls. It's like, holy shit, you just put in a bunch of, you know, th- these hops or this, uh, you know, this level of bitterness or something. It's like, how, how is this going to play out? Oh, it still actually works, you know, as the beer is come up five degrees in temperature because it's taking me 15 minutes or whatever to drink it like it's still it still plays up still maintains drinkability and balance do do they do they um do they sell her well i mean like are are they are they best to be uh you know kind of enjoyed immediately like i'm just wondering i'm just wondering like if you if you know like if you just left it in for like three or four months does like the does the flavor change does you know what i mean are these not one of those danger beers that are gonna explode not the milkshake IPA. <laughs> okay. Uh, All the right. Smoothie the sour, yeah, the smoothie sours are the ones you tend to see uh, some breweries have problems with. Uh, we haven't yet. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we go through great lengths to try to make sure that doesn't happen in Mountains Walking. We centrifuge everything and we, we you know, use potassium sorbate on the back end. But, yeah. Yeah, the issue is, are, do you have a lot of fermentable sugar still? That's, in that's your- why I'm asking. Yeah. So he's he's not concerned about the the milkshake IPAs because it doesn't have a lot of fermentable sugar, except it does have lactose. And you were saying earlier that lactose isn't fermentable. It's not fermentable by brewer's yeast, but it is fermentable by stuff that like makes cheese. You know, lactose is in milk, and so we have all sorts of fermented milk products. And so whether it's yogurt or cheese or whatever, there are definitely critters that will uh, consume that. So if you're if you're keeping your brewery clean. I, I don't mean the actual like brewery, the building and all that stuff, but if you're keeping the beer clean throughout the process, you, you should be okay. However, um, refrigeration is your friend. It will, it will slow down any sort of stuff that might be, might be grown in there. And so I think some of the, the stories that you read about some of these smoothie sours blowing up, um, you know, the cans exploding uh, are based on the fact that, you know, they didn't have all the yeast dead or maybe they had bacteria in there. Bacteria, I know it sounds bad, but there's a lot of good bacteria in there that we eat and drink all the time. Um, and so that stuff will cause a fermentation that will produce CO2 in there and make the can explode. Mm-hmm. 
but especially if the cans are not kept um oh, yeah. right. uh, if they're not kept cold that's bad okay. so time and heat are bad for these sorts of beers so just drink them fresh yeah yeah that's yeah because yeah, so yeah, yeah. before i yeah. hijacked Larry's yeah. question with explosion talk yeah, yeah yeah no yeah but just drink them fresh <laughs> is the thing yeah i would say like you know just like hazy ipa three months you know, we would prefer mm. any hazy IPA, milkshake IPA be drank within the first three months. Perfect. And, and that's pretty standard across the board. You know, so. Okay, so Lewis? Okay, you're watching Jeopardy. You're at home watching Jeopardy. Breaking news hits. Space Do you a- know Lewis that well? Yep. That's cool. <laughs> Seems like a Jeopardy guy. Space aliens have come to Earth. Breaking news. You don't have time to freak out before there's a knocking at the door. It's a couple government guys. They've enlisted you for oh, a very damn. important mission. Oh, damn. It seems these aliens, they want to get to know Earth from its experts. They had Tony Hawk come in and show them what skateboarding is. Um, John Favreau showed them what movies are. <laughs> um, and they've decided that they want you to be the one to introduce them to beer. You only get to pick one beer to give to these aliens and show them this is what a beer is and to sell them on beer. What do you pick? Yeah, Jeopardy's still on. You got to get home to Jeopardy. So. Yeah, um, I would probably say, yeah, probably Belgian Lambic, some sort. Um, Probably just like Armand and Gaston goose from Dre Fontainen. Wow. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Wow. Or some sort of lager beer from Germany. But yeah, I'd say those are like the two opposite ends of the spectrum, but they're the two that I enjoy the most. <laughs> so nice. Yeah. That's what's up. Larry's also there with the alien, and he approves. Uh, yeah, the, are, the, the hypothetical Larry or real Larry? Hypothetical. Wine's not Larry. Wine's not Larry. Wine's not Larry. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah <laughs> he yeah, needs yeah, to be yeah. sold yeah. on he, the he, he hangs out with aliens. All He's the time. A, yeah, yeah. They have time together. Those awesome. Are, those are his people. Yeah. Uh, so oh. cool. So before we go, let's Lewis. Let's talk about mountains walking for a second. I know we have talked about them a bunch yeah. already, um, but for one, um, I think obviously a big question uh, hearing you talk about it is where do you guys distribute? Where can we find you? Because I know you're not just in Montana. No. Yeah. So we we actually just sent a little bit of beer to LA. So. We kind of we do some light distribution to LA, San Fran, and San Diego right now. Uh, we send to Arizona, Portland, Colorado, New York City, or New York State in general, Pennsylvania, um, New Jersey, North Carolina, Wyoming, Idaho, and I think that's it right now. And then we're in about probably sixteen or seventeen countries. Right now, so we, we send a lot of oh, beer great. to Europe. That's great. Um, you know, we, we, like pretty much all the Scandinavian countries, but a, a lot of pretty much all of Western Europe and uh, a little bit of Eastern Europe. And then uh, we just sent a couple pallets to Singapore last week. Wow. Air freight. Uh, wow. <laughs> so we're kind of, awesome. we're, we're sending it everywhere. We're a little bit in up in uh, BC and uh, in Alberta as well. That's great. What what beers should we be looking for? I mean, obviously Mountains Walking will be on the can, so that'll be helpful. But uh, like, yeah, what kind of beers are out there? Like a lot of the stuff that we send out of state is, is our specialty stuff. Um, so you'll see Opaque Thoughts, which is milkshake cool. IPAs, uh, Dessert Cart, which is our pastry, sa- uh, pastry stout series, Cloud Curtain, uh, which is a mm. single hop kind of oat cream, oat whip is what we call it. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, uh, sorry, what is the, oat, really quick, the oat whip, I kind of see and mentioned the oat whip series from you guys. Yeah. What is the oat whip? So it's like 
you know, everyone's calling it oat cream. At the time we, we started this, so I think other half was, you know, still brewing oat cream IPAs. And I, I, I thought that, you know, they, they had coined that. That was kind of their terminology, so I didn't want to take it or anything. Uh, but now everyone's just rolling with oat cream. But it's just really a really high percentage uh, oats. So typically over 50% oats are used in the in the grain bill of the beer, which just leads like a, to a really fluffy kind of soft uh, mouthfeel. Imagine drinking a pillow. Mm, delish and not and to be clear that's not crossing that's not the milkshake that's like the that's like a normal ipa just hazy ipa um low bitterness very aromatic and then soft and pillowy yeah Mm. sounds delicious sounds very delicious we're drinking a a citra cloud curtain right now and uh it's it's badass like this is as drinkable (laughs) as you know one of these big eight percent alcohol like super fluffy beers could be and the hops are great on it and there is some bitterness in there it's not all like completely lost so it's got a little bit of balance in there i like that yeah and then yeah you know well we have another brand we've started called new hokkaido which is a side project that we've started sending out a lot of places too which might start popping up in california area um which is just um uh, like another brand that we use rice in everything so we're brewing hazy ipas with rice and West Coast IPAs with rice, and that we're starting to send that out to quite a few places as well. So awesome, cool, yeah. I'm I'm very excited to try it out. I've not had to say it, but uh, yeah, like I said, I see nothing but good things about you guys online. Nothing but positive reviews and very high marks. And Rich, I know Rich would not dare pretend to like a beer that he does not like. I know that. Would, <laughs> I, I try to be diplomatic. He would burst into flames if he tried. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. And then, and I guess one last question. What, what do you see for the future of beer? What is, what is the big beer trend coming up in 2022? What's the new thing coming? Oh, well, I, I don't, at this point, it's just so hard to tell, you know, I, I I think everything's going to kind of keep going where it is really. I think we're going to see more pastry stouts and dessert sour beers. I think we're seeing a lot of lager come back around now, which has kind of been a trend for probably the last four years. I think we'll continue to see that. Um, but at the end of the day, the next big trend, I think is going to be something that we have absolutely no clue what it is that will probably involve the IPA somehow. The <laughs> <laughs> stout IPA. <laughs> yeah. It'll be a crypto. We'll have a, we'll have a crypt, crypto IPA. It's coming up. In seltzer, of course. Yeah. Crypto IPA. Um, cool. So that's it. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Um, I'm Matty Smith. You can find me on Twitter on at Matty Smith. Please follow the podcast at, at Liquid Bread Pod on Twitter, at Liquid Bread Pod on Instagram. Feel free to email us with any questions about anything at, at Liquid Bread, or not at, uh, Liquid, Bread Podca- Liquid Bread Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, milkshake now, Matty. I know, I do it. It's I got a, <laughs> I a lot of fruit. And it it was really good. good. It was yeah. actually very tasty. Um, Larry, you have anything to plug? Um, oh, I'll be on Animal Kingdom tonight. Um, yeah. By, by the time this airs, it'll be uh, it'll be off. So look for it on demand. Yeah. Yeah. Go find it on demand. Find Animal Kingdom. But uh, Larry Bates, uh, Instagram, the talented Mr. Bates, Twitter, talented Mr. Bates, and Rich. Uh, Rich is extremely boring right now and trying to enjoy <laughs> summer, so he's not he's not producing much on milkshake on summer social media. Okay. But yeah, he's uh, you can find him in Bozeman, Montana, drinking a lot of beer. Awesome. And one more time, I want to thank Lewis McAllister Thanks from so Mountains much, Walking Lewis, Brewery. Man. Thanks thank so much for having you. You're so awesome. awesome. Um, and Lewis, um, do you have any anything, any Twitter accounts or any Instagrams to follow? Any Anything for the brewery or yourself? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, underscore, hold it, underscore. 
So <laughs> awesome. I dig awesome. it. I dig yeah. it. Perfect. All right. Thanks, I need everybody. To to 3,000 followers. So <laughs> Guys, let's get this to 3,000. And you know what? Until next time. I'm not saying. Say it later. I'm not, say it later. I, I refuse to. You gotta say it. I refuse to. What would Wine's not I'll just say, say he'd, he'd probably go, um, no, he wouldn't, he wouldn't say it. You probably should have written it down for Lewis to say Happy Fearing. Happy Fearing. Happy Fearing.